Shabbat Shalom, y'all. This morning's parasha is Vayahi, meaning, and he lived. I gave it my own title as well. It's called Changed Relationships. Brings us to the end of Genesis. In our previous parasha, Jacob arrived in Egypt and was joyfully reunited with Joseph, who for all these years he had thought dead. Seventeen years have since passed. Jacob is 147 years old. He knows he will soon die, so he summons Joseph and makes him promise him not to bury him in Egypt, but rather bring his body back to Canaan and bury him in the cave of Machpelah, where Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, and Rebekah are buried. To be buried in the land of one's ancestry in the ancient world was of paramount importance. Joseph swears this oath. Chapter 48 begins with Jacob rapidly declining, summoning Joseph, who brings his sons Manasseh and Ephraim with him. Jacob declares that Manasseh and Ephraim are to be reckoned as his sons and reiterates God's promise that the land of Canaan will be given to his descendants as an everlasting possession. He also promises that God will be with Joseph and that our people will return to Eretz Canaan. Jacob rejoices that he has been allowed to see Joseph alive again and even to see his grandchildren. But when the time comes to bless them, Jacob places his right hand on Ephraim, even though Manasseh is the older. Now, Joseph assumes that his elderly father is a little bit confused, but Jacob assures him he knows what he's doing. He's prophesying that the younger will have greater stature than the older. And in fact, Ephraim did come to have greater prominence in Israel than Manasseh. By the way, this 4,000-year-old blessing that he pronounced is still being recited in synagogues around the world to this day over our sons. Yisimcha Elohim Ephraim v'chim May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. In chapter 49, Jacob summons all his sons, Gathered around their dying father, Jacob prophesies, declaring their future. Zebulun will produce seafarers. Dan, appropriately, will produce judges. Asher, olive growers. Olives make me happy. And that's what Asher means. And Benjamin, warriors. Naphtali is likened to a swift doe and Joseph to a rich, fruitful vine. But the question on everybody's mind is, who gets the blessing? Who among the 12 will be the next ruler of the family? Jacob summons Ruvain, the firstborn, and begins praising him, saying, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. And can you just imagine Reuben thinking, this is it, here it comes. I'm the one. But Jacob continues, Uncontrolled as water, you will not have preeminence. Reuben's sin of having lain with his father's concubine cost him dearly. Shimon and Levi were next in line, but they also forfeited that premier blessing, having murdered all the men of Shechem in revenge for the rape of their sister by one man. 
And that brings us to Yehuda, Judah, who receives the blessing. Jacob announces that Judah will have preeminence and rule over all the other tribes, comparing him to a lion whom no one dares provoke. But this prophecy extends much further. He declares, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until the one comes to whom it belongs, Shiloh. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. By the way, Shiloh is a composite word meaning with reference to him who, to whom it belongs. This is a remarkable prophecy and a crucial part of that ever more specific ancestry we're following through which Messiah must come. But it's also clear from this word that once Messiah came, Judah was supposed to hand over the leadership and the sovereignty. When we read about the conflict between Yeshua and the Jewish religious leaders, simply put, we are witnessing the refusal of Judah to relinquish that scepter to the one to whom it belongs, Shiloh. The subsequent history of our people, our being scattered to the ends of the earth, our lack of peace, is explained in light of that refusal. Well, Jacob concludes his blessings and again insists that his sons bury him in Canaan, in the cave of Machpelah, where the patriarchs and matriarchs are buried. Then Jacob dies. Chapter 50 begins with Joseph weeping over his father and making good his promise. Joseph returns to Canaan along with his brothers and a huge entourage of Egyptian dignitaries. The Canaanites see this enormous caravan of Egyptians uh, stopping there and mourning by the Jordan River for seven days. And so they named that place Abel Mitzrayim, the meadow. In other words, a meadow is well watered, the tears of Egypt. Abel Mitzrayim. After sitting Shiva, they resume the journey to Machpelah where they bury Jacob. Now Joseph's brothers are suddenly frightened. With their father gone, what's to stop Joseph from taking revenge? So they concoct a lie that Jacob, before dying, said he wanted Joseph to forgive them for what they did to him. These guys haven't changed very much, but Joseph certainly has. His undeserved sufferings produced in him patience and a heavenly perspective. Joseph assures his brothers he's forgiven them and promises to provide for their families. Sefer Bereshit, Genesis, ends with the death of Joseph at 110 years of age, but not before he reiterates the promise that God will bring them out of Egypt at the appointed time, return them to Canaan, and he directs them to carry up his bones with them. I want to leave you with a single idea this morning. Joseph is unmistakably a type of the Messiah. Consider this interaction of Joseph with his brothers. They had hated him. They betrayed him. Are accounted responsible for selling him for the price of a slave. As far as they knew, he was dead and gone. They never expected to see him alive again let alone to be lord over all, over, over all of Egypt. He, meanwhile, had every right 
and full authority to exact judgment on them, but instead declared his love and his forgiveness of them, even promising to continue to provide for their families. Messiah Yeshua, though righteous and innocent, was hated by his own brethren, betrayed for the price of a common slave. And when he died, our people thought that's the last we would ever see of him. Oh, boy, were we wrong. He rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, and has been exalted to the right hand of Hashem, just like Joseph was exalted. The tribes of Israel will see him again, coming in cosmic power with unimaginable glory and divine authority. And though we will deserve judgment, he brings salvation and forgiveness. But like Joseph, he speaks this mercy, he speaks forgiveness, granting eternal life to all who believe in him. And as it is written in that day, all Israel will be saved. Wouldn't you agree that's the kind of good news worth shouting? Amen. 